0: get there, let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. Hmm. Where do I stop? We're going to start in verse 1, I know that. Um, uh, we'll read the first nine verses and then we'll, we'll remain standing in prayer. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll remain standing in prayer. Verse 1, the Bible says, Him that is weak in the faith, "'Receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. "'For one believeth that he may eat all things, "'another who is weak eateth herbs. "'Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, "'and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, "'for God hath received him. "'Who art thou that judgest another man's servant?' To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, Eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died, and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and living. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather together and and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the love that is in this church. Thank you for uh, salvation. Thank you, Lord, that none of us has earned our um, place in heaven, that none of us has earned our names to be written in the book of life, and yet we are on our way to heaven, and yet our names are written in the book of life simply because of what Jesus Christ did. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Help us to magnify that today. Help me to magnify you. And uh, Lord, may we grow today. May we uh, be closer to you and more Christ-like because we have worshipped you and sat under your word. And we thank you for this day. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be seated. Take your Bibles again. Please turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. On Father's Day, I um, shared a quote from a book, uh, shared a quote by Dave Hunt, in a book uh, that he wrote many, many years ago. Of course, he's passed away, I believe. The book is called The Seduction of Christianity. And uh, I read a quote uh, under a section in that book called The Myth of Self-Hatred. Now, I won't go back to that, but if you remember, uh, it basically defunct the idea that man's biggest problem is low self-esteem. And yet that's the mantra of today's world Uh, That our problem is that we don't love ourselves enough. And um, again, you can go back to that quote in that sermon. But uh, I want you to realize that our problem is not low self-esteem. We do sometimes have a problem with a lack of confidence. When I hear people talk about why I I have low self-esteem, a lot of times when they talk about it, uh, it's not really lack of self-esteem. It's that they don't have confidence, and that, that's something. That's legitimate. The, of course the Bible has an answer for that. Ephesians six ten says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Uh, but the Bible eight times in the Bible uh, this phrase is found. Love thy neighbor as the, thy love uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. Eight times the Bible says we already love ourselves. Eight times. The Bible says you love yourself. So keep that in mind. Now, if you if you lack confidence, then you go to the Lord for confidence. But our biggest problem is not that we don't love ourselves. So keep keep that in mind. <laughs> um, one of the little Marx girls just came by and waved to me with her cute little face. And you can't just ignore that. And now there's the other cute one. (laughs) And there's cute... No, he's not there. Anyway, um, distractions. (laughs) But, uh, you know, in fact, I want to encourage you not... You know, don't buy into this. You know, you may struggle with a lack of confidence, but don't say, I I don't have self-esteem or I don't love myself enough. Because that... Unless you don't believe the Bible and... You know, but if again, the Bible... Eight times the Bible says you love yourself. Now... The Bible also says that we are not to have a high self-esteem. In fact, in Philippians 2.3, the Bible says, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So when you talk about that, what, what we want to talk about uh, is, again, our problem is not, not low self-esteem. We need to esteem others better than ourselves. And so what I want to look at today is this distinction between self-consideration, you know, we love ourselves. In fact, in that text on Father's Day, um, the Bible says, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. And then um, in verse 28, it says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And then it says, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. So the problem with us is that sometimes we put too much consideration in ourselves, self-consideration, whereas that verse in Philippians says, let each esteem other better than themselves. And the Bible tells us that we need to consider others. Look not every man on his own things, but the things of others. So our challenge as Christians, if we're going to show genuine love, is Instead of constantly showing self-consideration, in other words, well, what about me? What about how I feel? What about my needs? Instead, we need to put others first. How do they feel? How will they respond? What You know, when I in my relationship and the words that I use and the actions that I do, how are they going to be affected by that? That's the way we need to think. So to, today's message is on consideration. Consideration. I want you... And I, to realize that as believers, part of showing love, and that's how Jesus said, they'll they'll know you're my disciples if you show love one for another, is when we have consideration for others. So we're going to get three things this morning. We're going to look at what is consideration. Number two, how does it look? And then number three, how doesn't it look? In other words, there's kind of a caveat or a disclaimer that when it comes to considering others, there are boundaries to that. So let's just jump right in. If you have your Bibles, you're in Matthew chapter um, Romans rather, chapter 14. Uh, in fact, that's we're going to look at that in a minute. I want you, to, in fact, mark that place. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six and verse 31 is the ultimate text. Though the word consideration is not in this verse, this verse is all about consideration. Jesus said, Luke chapter 6 and verse 31, 31, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. That verse tells you exactly what Consideration is, and so and that also shows us what it looks like. But here's a definition. We'll we'll give you a definition of consideration. Consideration is simply put, kindness and thoughtful regard for others. First definition of consideration: it's kindness and thoughtful regard. You're considering someone else of others. So. Does the Bible actually say that we have an obligation to be kind to people? You bet it does. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So in actions, our actions need to be, we need to be kind to one another. And every time you are kind to someone else, You are showing consideration. You're putting them first. You're esteeming them before yourself. And every time you are unkind, no matter what the reason, you are being inconsiderate. Another verse, Colossians chapter 4, has to do with our words. Not only should our actions be kind, but our words should be kind. I love this verse. I've never mastered it. I'm working on it, and probably you are too. Colossians 4.6, let your speech, your words, let your speech be sometime with grace. I twisted the scriptures, okay, because it doesn't say sometimes. It says, let your speech be always with grace. That means everything you and I should say. In fact, then it goes on and says, seasoned with salt. Now, that's not, God's not saying we need to go around with a salt shaker, And every time you say words, you pour some. You know that's not the idea. Is that whatever comes out of our mouth shouldn't just it shouldn't just come out raw. It needs to it needs to be flavored. We need to consider our words. They need to be gracious. So you know sometimes people have the attitude I'm going to tell them exactly how I feel, and I'm just going to give it to them in the rough. No, this verse is saying no. You don't just give it to them in the rough. You season it with salt. You make it gracious. Are you that way? Are you gracious with your words? In fact another verse, Ephesians four, 4 chapter four, verse twenty nine, it says that rather than corrupt communication coming out of our mouth, we have to have that which is good, that it may it that, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So gracious words means that when we speak to others. It's gonna be good, it's gonna edify, it's gonna build them up. And and so when you're considerate, that means you even watch your words, how you say things, you're taking the other person into consideration. You're not just you know getting something off your chest. I'm gonna tell them how I really feel. And there's times where we have to do that. But please be gracious. You you sometimes you talk in your raw emotion. And you're going to hurt their feelings. And you're going to demonstrate that you don't love them. Because you're just... You know, when you just say something, because i got to get it off my chest, and you get it off your chest, and that's all you're thinking about, you're probably throwing fiery darts their way because you're not considering them. You're only considering yourself. That's selfish. I read the story recently of a, a famous opera singer... Uh, also, civil rights activist Marian Anderson. Uh, in fact, there's a YouTube video. Her most famous, uh, what she was most noted for. she's uh a, a, I forget, contralto, whatever. But she sang um, a song on the con- uh, on the steps. She performed a, a concert on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1939 in front of thousands and thousands. It's on YouTube. And again, her name is Marian Anderson. And she was once uh, giving a concert in a small college town in Nebraska, and there was one of the one of the students really, really, really wanted to attend this concert. Loved Marian Anderson and, and loved her voice, and uh, she worked at a local hotel, and she could not get off that night. And she was devastated. Well, it just so happened that Marian Anderson was staying at that hotel that day, and uh, when when Marian Anderson came back from the concert. She went up to the front desk to check if there were any messages. And uh, this was the, you know, the, 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 the lady at the desk was the one. And she was so excited to meet her. And she just said, oh, I love you. And I want, I so wanted to. She expressed how disappointed she was that she missed the concert. And so right there, right in front of all the other desks, you know, the, uh, all the other pa- patrons and all, uh, Marian Anderson sang, uh, gave her a mini concert. <laughs> And sang right there, which took a lot of, you know, self-confidence. Talk about confidence. And she gave that, that gal uh, her own little concert. And, and, you know, what a blessing that somebody would be that considerate. Didn't even charge her for it, which would kind of be a little uh, presumptuous. But what a blessing. Here's someone that she saw. This, this, this girl was so disappointed. And she felt for her. And she could she could have been irritated by that. You know, people that are famous tend to, you know, they. It, I, I imagine if, if people that are famous, it gets old pretty quick. You know, you can't go out in public. People are running up to you saying, oh, can I have your autograph? And, and you know, I, she could have just said, oh, man, another groveling fan, you know. And, and please, I just did a concert. I'm exhausted. I want to go in. But she didn't do that. She was considerate. That's what God wants us to be. Considerate people are kind and thoughtful. Again, what's considerate, being considerate? Consideration is kindness and thoughtful regard for others. Do you think about others and how what you say and what you do may affect them? Because if you don't, then you may be very inconsiderate. Second. So number one, uh, consideration is kindness and thoughtful regard for others. That's what it is. How does it look? And now we looked at Luke. Look at Luke six and verse thirty-one. Here's here you know putting shoes on a definition. How when we show consideration for one another, what does it look like? Well, Jesus said, "As ye would that men should do to you." Here's here's the measuring rod. Here's the saying we use, which is really this verse filled out. Put yourself in their shoes. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. In other words, consideration is is before you say something, saying, okay, if, if I were on that end and somebody was going to say something that like what I'm about to say to this person, how would I feel? That's what consideration is. Some people don't seem to do that at all some people don't seem to have that consideration if they're they're not the last thing on their mind is because they're so self-absorbed is they're just reacting to life and reacting to others and leaving casualties left and right now if you're saved if you're a child of god you need to be considerate of others need to think about others You say, well, nobody thinks about me. But there's nothing in here that says, as men treat you, so treat them. In fact, the Bible even says uh, in Proverbs, say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his works. Say not, don't say that. So that's like the counter of this. So you don't say I'm going to treat them the way they treat me. No, that's not the golden rule. That's probably the um, the dirt rule or something. You know, the golden rule is as you would want them to treat you, so you treat them, and that's that's consideration. Is doing that. Put put yourself in in their shoes. Now go to Romans 14. Now, this is this is a setting of the first century church, um, and, and there's all kinds of scenarios that would have application to this today. We do not, to the degree that they did the first century, we don't have this same battle. You know, realize the first century church, you have something brand new. You have God's plan, God's program. Now, instead of just including the Jews and being focused on the Jews, now the New Testament church was going to be a merger of, of people that get saved out of a Jewish background and people that get saved out of a Gentile background, and they're going to become one. And that, that you're talking two different cultures, two different, totally different philosophies, two different lifestyles, and they clashed. And you had one group resenting the other, you had the other group despising the other, and Paul had to deal with that. Now, we don't have to that degree... Uh, that particular issue, but we have a lot of other things in our day. Still, We still got things. You know, when people get saved, they come from different backgrounds, and there's all kinds of things that we have to deal with where this principle applies. Look at Romans 14, verse 1. Because this is, this is, the you know, where the rubber meets the road. This is putting shoes to consideration. Verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations, you know, d- debates and arguments. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak, eateth herbs. He's talking about the Jew versus the Gentile. Let let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. That's what they were doing. The one group was despising the other, the other group was condemning the other. Verse 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. The Jews had all kinds of holidays. The Gentiles couldn't care less. <laughs> one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. Now, right there, that's controversial because the one side was condemning the other because they showed no respect for the other view. Uh, Middle of verse 6, He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not To the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. And then this whole chapter has to do with uh, issues of conscience. You know, we should not put a stumbling block before another brother's path. And I want to read to you, um, there's a book uh, that somebody recommended to me, I think last year. It's just called Conscience, and it is phenomenal. I'm going through it the second time, and I have a couple quotes here that really s- uh, summarize uh, what Paul is after here on, on conscience. So let me just read to you a paragraph on this book, two different places. Um, it's two writers, and they say, The concern in this text is not merely that your freedom is, may irritate, annoy, or offend your weaker brother or sister. If a brother or sister simply doesn't like your freedoms, that is their problem. But if your practice of freedom leads your brother or sister to sin against their conscience, then it becomes your problem. In other words, Paul said, if meat make my brother to offend, in other words, me eating meat offends someone, then Paul said, I will eat no meat while the world standeth. And so that's their point. If your practice of freedom leads your brother or sister to sin against their conscience, then it becomes your problem. Christ gave up his life for that brother or sister. Are you unwilling to give up your freedom if that would help your fellow believer avoid sinning against conscience? Another paragraph in this book. We shouldn't bring spiritual harm to others. And they're quoting on verses 20 and 21 in verse four, chapter 14. So how might how might your use of freedom bring spiritual harm to other professing believers. Two main possibilities. One, our engaging in an activity that another believer thinks to be wrong may encourage that other believer to do it as well. They would then be sinning because they are not acting from faith, verse 23. Or, is another way to violate it, an ostentatious flaunting of liberty on a particular matter May so deeply offend someone that he or she may turn from the faith altogether. And that happens. Once again, we must emphasize that the stumbling block principle does not teach that we must refrain from an activity that another believer may simply disagree with. And then they they make this conclusion later in the book. Last thing we must never allow the conscience of others to determine our own conscience. But we must always consider the conscience of others when we determine our own actions. I want to read that again because that's a good summary. When it comes to our conscience, because God does not want any of us violating our conscience. Now, sometimes our consciences need to be reprogrammed according to the scriptures. But again, that last point we must never allow the conscience of others to determine our own conscience. But we must always consider, and this is consideration, we must always consider the conscience of others when we determine our own actions. So when, you're, when you give consideration to others, you're aware because you love them and you're thinking, you know, I may have liberty to do this. For, let me give you an example that just popped in my mind. When I, before I got saved, I was a hockey fanatic, very out of balance, had no interest in baseball, basketball, football, crochet, putt-putt. I mean, I just it was hockey and I I became as many of you know, a Philadelphia Flyers fanatic. And in fact, I remember first going to Bible Baptist Church in Westchester and they were like all everything was basketball, basketball. And I I'm like, these people, they're so unspiritual. Why don't they like hockey, you know? And uh and and so then as I got saved, I began to be a, a little sensitive that, hey, Lion, you know what? You're taking this Flyers thing a little bit too seriously. I mean, come on. You start crying when the team lose? Come on. And so I had to back away from hockey for a while and get my priorities straight. Now I am back. I think I'm okay now. I'm watching the Flyers again. You keep keep an eye on me. If I start talking about the Flyers and I start crying or something, I need you. you, I need an intervention. okay? (laughs) But let's say during that time, you know, where hockey just it just was way out of proportion. And you also love hockey. And and you know that I'm trying, you know, I'm I'm abstaining from hockey for a couple months or a year or two, a couple years because I need to put the Lord first. And you're like and I tell you that. And you love hockey, too. And you say, well, you know what? I'm going to hockey's not wrong. Right. You, you cannot find a verse that says, thou shalt not like hockey or basketball or any of that stuff. There's no verse like that. But let's say you know I'm struggling with it, and you say, you know what? I'm going to test pastor's faith, and I'm going to invite him over to watch a Flyers game. And, and you, you do that. When you know that I'm struggling with that for the time, that's the idea. And, and it's not that you can't watch hockey You know, well, pastor can't watch hockey, so now I need to give it up. No. But you want to be considerate of me. It it probably is a stupid issue, uh, example. But there's all kinds of things like that where you and I have to, we have to take into consideration where someone's at and just be sensitive to that. You may have freedom in certain areas that someone else doesn't. They would be the weaker, the person with the weaker conscience. But you have to... You just have to consider other people. That's what the Lord wants. You know, uh, there's a verse in Hebrews 10, 24. Listen to this verse. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to, to good works. Consider one another. Don't just think about yourself. Don't We can't be selfish. We have to think in, uh, about other people. Get you know, don't don't make it all about yourself. There's other people, and show love. There's a story I heard. This is an amazing, and this is documented and from a pretty legitimate source. Two people, a lady named Penny Brown and uh, a boy named Kevin Stefan S T E P H A N. I don't think it's Kevin Stephen. Kevin Stefan. Um, they both owe their lives to one another. When Kevin was 11 years old, he was a bat boy in July of 1999, and a player accidentally dealt him a severe blow to the chest with a bat while warming up. Kevin passed out, and his heart stopped beating. Penny was a nurse and was at a game to watch her son play when this happened. She rushed down to Kevin and performed CPR And saved his life. Kevin's mother said he was very fortunate because Penny was scheduled to work that day and had been given the day off at the last minute to watch her son play baseball. Wow. Seven years later, Penny Brown is in a restaurant eating in Depew, New York. And she begins to choke on her food. Kevin, who worked as a dishwasher in that restaurant, was immediately called to help her because he was a volunteer fireman. Kevin performed the Heimlich maneuver and dislodged the food that was suffocating Penny. After saving her life, he realized that she was the lady that had saved his life seven years earlier. Isn't that cool? Now think about it. I wonder how many times when we get to heaven, maybe the Lord's going to show us. I wonder how many times that kind of thing has played out. But I wonder also how many times someone has shown consideration for one person, but then they did not, that person didn't turn around and show consideration for others. You see, there is a, a cost for being inconsiderate. There is a, a penalty. We, we miss something. The world loses something when we act selfishly and we only think of ourselves. But when you and I give consideration to others, what heroes we have. So, last, last point here. So does this whole consideration thing, does this whole idea of being kind one to another mean that we are always obligated to be kind and show consideration to every other human being? Now, when, just by what I've said so far... You'd probably think well yeah be kind one to another uh, in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves Th- then yes ah no when you take your bibles now and turn to Matthew chapter 15 you're like what there's a double standard in the bible no it's not a double standard not at all it's maybe what we could call a caveat I know I use that word several years ago, many years ago. Mr. Bertolette used the word caveat in a sentence when he was talking to me, and I had not heard that word before. And I had no idea what he was talking about. So what did I do? I looked it up, and then it became my favorite word, <laughs> and I say it all the time. So a caveat is like you know a disclaimer or a, you know um, an exception to the rule. And so look at Matthew 15 in verse 12. Then came his disciples, that's Jesus's disciples. He had just Jesus had just finished preaching. And his disciples came up to him and said, "Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying?" So Jesus is preaching and the Pharisees are listening and they are offended. And somehow the disciples find out that Whoa, you did not make the disciple, or you did not make the Pharisees very happy by what you said, and they showed. Now they are, they go to Jesus and say, "Jesus, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended?" They showed consideration, right? You know, the Pharisees are offended. Jesus probably didn't know it, maybe, and they get wind that you know they were very hurt, very offended by what Jesus said, and so they go to Jesus expecting him to i don't know respond with consideration don't you know the pharisees were offended when they heard this saying and look how jesus responded verse 13 but and not end it's but in other words there's a kind of we're going in a different direction here but he answered and said every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up Look at the next three words in verse 14. Let them alone. Well, that's inconsiderate. But wait a minute. Does this idea of being considerate mean that we have to give weight and consideration to everyone equally? And the answer is no. Now, that's not a violation of consideration. In fact, you and I need to show discernment and wisdom when it comes to being considerate. Look what he said: "Let them alone; they be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch." Now, this this sounds, uh, if, especially if you're just reading this or hearing this on the surface, it sounds so unchristian. What are you you you, you t- Jesus, you're telling us to ignore? The Pharisees, these people that were offended, and he basically is, leave them alone. Because he knew these were people that were not teachable. These were people that were enemies of the gospel. They were the blind, leading the blind. In fact, that's why they were offended, because he was telling them the truth. He's telling them what they needed to hear. And if he had in any way, condescended or taken that back like oh i'm sorry i didn't mean that he would have done more damage there's a major lesson here folks and it's a lesson i'm still learning and maybe some of you are too it's this idea that there's parameters in in truth and there are parameters if you're for example if you're if you're a, a husband and there's well, have a perfect example. Um, you know, the Bible says when a, a man le- a man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I remember, you know, uh, with my mom just passing, I remember that uh, I every guy has to go through this. That uh, when I started dating my wife, uh, and then when I got married, um, there were some challenges there because I was used to honoring my mom, and, and now there's this new woman in my life. And God says, you have to love her. You're now leaving your mother and father, joining to your wife, you're being one flesh. And I remember my pastor telling me, there's going to be times where you're going to have to choose and you're going to have to choose for your wife now. And I remember, you know, I was a mama's boy in the sense. I love my mama. You know, she was good to me. And uh, I remember there were times where I I had to, you know, it was not easy, but I had to choose one. And, And so the idea is, in our lives, Everybody does not get equal treatment. There's going to be people that you're responsible to take into consideration more than others. And there will be, in your life, there will be toxic people who you end up having to back away from if you're wise because they will manipulate you to do things God doesn't want you to do. You all know there's a book. Uh, I mentioned this book many times because I... It's a book I wish. The book came out in 1992. That's when we started our church. I didn't read it till a couple of years ago. And it's called Boundaries. Simple book written by two guys. Just some simple truths about the fact that we have to have boundaries on our life. In fact, the subtitle of that is something like uh, knowing when, how to say no and when to say yes or something. And I, and I didn't even realize it. I had a major problem with saying no. I, di- I didn't know how to say no. And it just burned me out, you know, as a pastor, you know, anybody that, you know, 24-7. And and I did not know how to say no, and I'm I'm, I'm still working on it. And so this book uh, has really helped me, first, to understand. So I was talking to my sister about this book about a year ago, because my sister's a lot like me, you know, wants to be a blessing, wants to help others. And I said, Beth, you've got to read this book, Boundaries. So she got it, and she read it. She said, wow, you know, and and now I just was, was with her the, le- the, the last day I saw my, saw my mom and my sister was telling me about that book and how much it meant. And she said, and I got a new book for you and it's called, it's kind of like boundaries. She said, it's called good boundaries and goodbyes. Now I, I got the book. I haven't started reading it yet, but I love that title. Good boundaries and goodbyes. In other words, just like the Pharisees, Jesus could have given them consideration and it would have been wasted effort because they were not teachable. They had rejected him. They were his enemies. They were toxic. And Jesus had to say goodbye. You know, it, it, there's going to be times, folks, where you'll have to say goodbye. You'll have to set boundaries in your life. to to people like the Pharisees. I mean, think about that. Jesus said, leave them alone. Goodbye. Say goodbye to the Pharisees. They're blind leaders of the blind. They're both going to fall in the ditch. If you start reasoning with them, if you start listening to them and trying to get into debates with them, you're going to fall into a ditch, spiritually. So there might be some people in your life that you have to say goodbye to. You say, well, that sounds inconsiderate. No, if you're going to be able to be a blessing to the people that God wants you to be a blessing to, then you're going to have to have boundaries along those lines. Uh, in fact, there's people you need to consider more than others. Uh, there's some people, you, there's some, someone that you need to give consideration to more than anyone else in the world, and that's God if God has spoken. Now, there's some people that don't believe God has spoken in any way that, you know, any knowable way, uh, and therefore this doesn't apply to them, but I'm here to tell you as a preacher of Christianity that God has spoken, and he's made himself known in the Bible. Oh, but the Bible, so many people take it so many different ways, but the Bible only says one thing. Every verse has one main you know, it doesn't say anything you want it to say. It says something, what God intended it to say. And if you will rightly interpret it, you won't come away with 20 different interpretations if you rightly divide, rightly interpret the Scripture. By the way, we're talking about that during during our Bible study hour with hermeneutics. That's a, a, the study of interpretation. But God has spoken. And he's saying something, not anything at all. So, If God has spoken, and I'm telling you he has, then he needs to be, you need to consider what he says more than anybody else. Here's why. The Bible says, Proverbs 12 and verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. In fact, two times in Proverbs it says there's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In other words, the things that sometimes to us seem right. In other words, again, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. We all think we're right. We all think my way is the true way. It's just natural, human, you know, that's our default setting, is we think we're right. You know, we, we all process information and whatever, we don't realize we have prejudices, we believe lies without realizing it. And so the person who, is, who thinks he's always right is a fool, the Bible says. Proverbs 21.2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. In other words, the Lord, he doesn't just see what you're thinking, he also sees what motivates you another proverb. I love this proverb. You hear me quote it all the time lately. Proverbs 18 and verse 17, which is a difficult verse to translate. In fact, the King James translators, there's a lot of italics in there because it's it's one of those things that's hard to bring this from English or from uh, Hebrew to English. But it says, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just. And there's all kinds of italics in there. But his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. Here's the idea of that verse. The one that presents the case first or what comes to our, the first, first thing you think of, the first way it's presented is what tends to look right until you hear the counter-argument. That's the idea. It's, it, it judici- judicial terms are used here, but that's true with all of us. Have you ever heard someone side of something and you're like, oh, I can't believe that, and then you heard the other person side, oh, you know, and, and, and so the wisest person is going to realise I don't always see things straight. And if you if you can't there's a lot of people that are so proud that they think they're always right because everything seems right. I hope you are not so arrogant that you have blocked off the ability to be convinced of something. I remember, I close with this, I remember, um, I've shared this, I think this one incident, This a couple of times, when a, a, I think it was a, Jeho- a Jehovah's Witnesses came, a Jehovah, two Jehovah's Witnesses came uh, to my wife's house. It was my girlfriend at the time, and I uh, think I just read Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin, and I think we had just studied uh, a, a, the Greek passage in John chapter 1, uh, whatever the cult was, where they, they just twisted up. And my wife calls me on the phone because now I have, I just did this study. I've got all this information on whatever that cult was. And, um, and she goes, there's some Jehovah Witnesses at the door. And they're coming. I'm talking to them. And I said, I'll be right over. So I grabbed my Greek New Testament, grabbed my Bible, grabbed my notes, and I ran over to her house. And I, I knocked and I acted like I was just casually coming in with my Greek New Testament and my notes on that cult under my, my and I started talking to them and i'm thinking you know this is great i get to i get to bring i get to use some of this stuff and i remember in our back and forth there were two it was two ladies and i remember it took me a while to realize cuz you know it was it was point counterpoint and i was trying to bring out how they were misinterpreting and their translation is not a good translation when it comes to the deity of christ and all of a sudden it dawned on me it took me a while probably 15 or 20 minutes, that I would listen to their points so I could reason with them. Remember Paul? He went in and he, you know, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he, opening and alleging, he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And so I thought I was doing that. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that when she was being quiet when I was making my point, like when she would talk, I would listen to what she was saying and process it and try to give, you know, a response to whatever she was doing. And then it dawned on me, wait a minute, because I had already I'd like brought in five or six points. And I realized, you know what? She's not even listening to a word I'm saying. She's just remaining silent for her next opportunity to talk. And I remember hearing from someone else that had left that cult that they get, like, points maybe with God for if they're able to give more of their spiel, as much of their spiel as they're able to give, they get more points or something for it. But that was not a conversation. And I realized that, you know what? They are so closed-minded, they're not, they're not willing to listen to arguments. God says in Isaiah 1.18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, They shall be white as wool. I want to ask you something. Are you someone who stubbornly refuses to think that you could ever be wrong? I was born in this religion and I'm going to die in this religion. Or maybe, you know, there's so many people that are now avowed atheists because they are bitter. So many bitter people are denying God just because they're mad at God. Isn't that sad? You know what I've learned? I have learned that whatever position I take, whatever belief I hold to, I want to hear the best argument against that. Remember the Bereans? They searched the scriptures, Paul's preaching, the apostle Paul is preaching, and they didn't just fawn, you know, fall down and, and take whatever he said. They searched the scriptures whether those things were so. They scrutinized Paul. And so now, I, I'm, it's become a practice. I want to hear the best argument that someone has against the position I take. That's how I got saved. I got saved because I was willing to hear a different presentation against the religion I grew up in. And I found out that I grew up in religion Christian religion they didn't preach you had to be born again or at least not the Bible way and I've learned that I need to be open to to somebody refuting what I believe and and we cannot be so dogmatic so proud so stubborn that we're not willing to listen to the other side I want to challenge you First of all, consider, give consideration to other people, but most importantly, give consideration to God. I, I close, I'll just close with this because we're out of time. Luke chapter 16 has been on my mind, and it, it, you don't need to just write it down. Uh, the rich man died, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. And when he realized that hell was real, because this man lived his whole life, and he rejected God. He didn't think eternity was real. He thought, like so many people think, when you die, you go into the dirt, and that's it. And so he was expecting his whole life. What so many are expecting now is that when they close their eyes in death, that's it. They're, they're going to stop existing. And, and what a shock. The rich man died. The end. That's what he thought. It says the rich man died. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And what did he do? Well, he couldn't save himself, folks. Whatever you do with God and the gospel will be sealed when you die. In other words, if you rejected the gospel, you don't have another chance after you die. And this man found that out. And so he immediately did what what other people will do. He thought about his brothers. And he he said, Abraham, please let someone come back from the dead and tell my brothers, this stuff is real. And Abraham said, no, no, they won't believe. They have they have the, the word of God. That's basically what he said. They have the law and the prophets. And, and the rich man said, no, but you don't understand. If somebody came back from the dead and said, this eternity is real, they would believe. And Abraham, by revelation of God, said, if they don't hear the scriptures, neither will they believe the one rose from the dead or came back from the dead. In other words, your chance to consider what God says happens only in this life. Do not go to the grave without settling the matter of your soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and and thank you for uh, the simple teaching of the golden rule that we would give consideration to other people That we would be considerate Christians, not inconsiderate, not rude. uh, That in our passion for you, that we would realize that to be consistent, we need to consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Father, I pray that you'd help us to not be so proud, selfish, self-centered, that we do not have that ability to consider others. And in considering others, Father, give us discernment that we will not be fools in in giving too, too much consideration to someone who is not interested in learning from us. And so we ask your blessing in these things, and we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right.